Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. We're going to take a look at the fifth part of the series that we've entitled Which Jesus, which sounds a little bit obvious and a little bit lame. I mean, you come to a church and you have a, a whole sermon series about Jesus, but it's predicated on the understanding that the most important thing, thing you ever think about is what you think about when you think about God. The most important thing you ever think is what you think when you think about God. You see, you are a creation of God and you are created in his image. And you can spend the whole of your life running to or running away from a God who isn't because you've got a weird understanding of what God's like. And the New Testament is full of this character called Jesus who shows up and says, nobody has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who's at the Father's side, has made him known. Who, who walks around saying, I and the Father are one. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Who says, you know, this understanding of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, that God is just a big, removed, distant God is, is really a bit whack. I understand why we thought it. But primarily, above everything else, God is Abba. He is Father. And I'm God. And when you see me, you see the character of God. When you see me in action, you see what God is like. When you see me loving people, you see the love of God. When you see me speaking truth, you see the truth of God. What you think about when you think about Jesus is the most important thing that you will ever think. And people have got an image of Jesus, and they have had for centuries. I wonder what picture you've got in your mind of Jesus. Let me show you just a few pictures um, that people down through the years have had about Jesus. First one. That's um, 11th century, and it's French. And uh, that's what they thought in the 11th century that Jesus probably looked like. He's kind of gold. Next one. This is 14th century, and it's Macedonian, and it's an icon and as they worshipped in Greek Orthodox churches, they would have that picture in many churches, and they would think that's what Jesus looked like. Next picture. Now this is getting much more like Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> this is a Renaissance. I think this is Titian. And uh, they began to realize that Jesus was actually white <laughs> at this point uh, in history. About 16th century. What else have we got? Oh, yeah, this is, this is 21st century. This is Buddy Christ. This is hipster Jesus, which I like to think a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. Next one. Oh, now this, this is the passion of the Christ Jesus. This is what, obviously what um, Mel Gibson thinks Jesus looks like. Next one. Now this, this is, according to scientists, apparently the best we can get as far as putting together the face of Jesus what Jesus actually looks like. Interesting. Next one. Ah. <laughs> Jesus started off as gold in the 11th century, and he became yellow when the Simpsons uh, got hold of Jesus. And then finally, this is what I grew up thinking Jesus was like. 
Because I, I, in my Sunday school, there was a picture of Jesus. And Je- apart from the fact that he always had blue. He was always blue. He had a bl- I don't know why they have blue, but he always had blue. And Jesus was blonde hair, blue eyes. He had a crook and usually a, a, a sheep under his eye. I wonder what you think about when you think about Jesus. It's really, really important. And John has got some pictures of Jesus. And, and John's about the best person you can go to to get a picture of Jesus because, because John was one of Jesus' best friends, Peter, James, and John. And John, if everyone else will forgive me, was the intelligent one. Now, he was like a smart one. So when John writes his gospel, it's all kind of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You know, Peter, when he inspires Mark to write the gospel, says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ you know, it's kind of, you know, blunt stuff. But John, you know, he really, he really gets it. And John has been, I don't know, I've got this real bad thought that one day I'm going to meet Peter face to face and he's going to beat me up. Because <laughs> I think Peter can probably take me. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, that's another sign. But John, he's been debunking these ideas about Jesus. In John chapter 1, he says, you know, Jesus and God, they're not removed and distant and dispassionate about this world. No, the word of God became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. God put on skin and he moved amongst us. He shared our humanity. That's what God's like. John chapter 2, John says, no, and and Jesus isn't some kind of Bible basher, party pooper God. He's not kind of a got a big black look and a big black book. He's not against you the whole time. He's the God that provides wine at a party from water. In fact, gallons of it. He's the joy bringer. John chapter 3, God is not condemning the world. Check out Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's all about love. John chapter 4, God, God is not a source. Listen very carefully. God is not a source of life. He is the source of living water. The only thing that's going to quench your thirst. That's what God is like. And he's bringing living water to bear for all people. John chapter 5. Jesus and John debunk the idea that God is just an interesting religious phenomenon. That Jesus is just an interesting religious phenomenon. But actually, he's the God that can change everything. So let's read together John chapter 5. And we're just going to read a few verses because there's lots of verses in John chapter 5. And we could be here all evening. And I could certainly preach all evening. John chapter 5 verse 1. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Which seems like a stupid question, but he asked anyway. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. 
And so the Jewish leaders said to the, the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who'd made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. What what we're going to see here is Jesus challenging people about the way they think. Challenging people about the way they think about him, the way they think about themselves, the way they think about life. And that's not unusual because the scripture writers say that Jesus came declaring the kingdom of God is at hand and asking people to repent. That word repent is the Greek word metanoia. And it just means this, change the way you think. I want you to change the way you think about this world. I want you to change the way you think about love. I want you to change the way you think about life. I want you to change the way you think about God because I'm bringing a new paradigm. I'm bringing a new way of understanding. And there are two groups in this passage of scripture that I want you to check out that Jesus challenges. The first group is the group that we might call the desperate. Try to find a more appropriate description, but that's all I could come up with. But they're desperate. They, according to the scripture writer, are blind lame and paralyzed if you're like they're the people that can't see the way forward and they are just physically emotionally spiritually stuck and we meet a man just a man a man who has a moment and in that moment his life is changed forever he's paralyzed we're told he can't walk which which is going to suck at any point in history But it particularly sucks at a time where you didn't have motorized wheelchairs, you didn't have NHS services, you didn't have any way of getting health support. No one understood these things. And so he's just totally and utterly stuck. And so he grasps at any hope he can get. And he sits at the edge of this pool called Bethesda because there was a legend And the legend got passed down from grandmother to mother to him. And the legend was this, that if you sat by the pool, every now and again the pool got stirred. It got stirred by an angel. And if you got into the pool first, you got healed. Now, how do we know that? Well, it's not there in the scripture that you've got, but you'll notice that it goes verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5. Hmm. There's a verse that's been taken out. And the verse that was in the middle there was a commentary verse that said exactly that. There was a legend that said that an angel stirred the water. And so he's waiting, hoping on this superstitious legend that an angel would stir the water. And it's got to be the worst thing 
Because even if the water got stirred, you had to win the competition to get in and he can't walk. So it's never going to happen for him. And he's been 38 years. Can you imagine that? (coughs) 38 years hanging out. And then the saviour of the world shows up and does something incredible. I want you to notice something about Jesus as we analyze this passage. I want you to notice that he knows what's going on. He sees this guy amongst many, many paralyzed, lame, sick, blind people. He sees this guy and he cares about this guy and he's willing to change his world. What if that's true today? What if the same Jesus who was walking around Israel 2,000 years ago healing people is exactly the same today? What if he knows exactly what's going on with you? What if he he sees the secrets of your heart? What what if he knows your complaint? What if he understands your pain? What What if he knows your situation? What if he knows your heartache? What if he cares? I mean, nine times in the New Testament, we're told that Jesus is moved with compassion. That's his character. It actually means moved in his guts. What if that's still true of Jesus? What if he's actually deeply moved compassion in his guts for you because he sees your heartache, he sees your heartbreak, he sees your disappointment and he cares deeply. And what if he can still do something about it? What if the God who used to do miracles, he healed people, the blind people saw, the lame people walked, the the deaf people heard again. What if if he hasn't gone and lost his power? What if he really is alive? What if he really walks these roads right now? What What if he puts his finger on people's lives and says, you know what, things can be different because this is the Jesus that you're supposed to understand what if that's still true a random miracle but isn't that what so many people are waiting for and we look at this guy and we think 38 years come on they're just hanging out but isn't that what so many people are hanging out for? A random miracle that they don't think is going to happen. If only I could win the lottery. If I get a few more qualifications. If I get another relationship that actually works. If I can get the right combination of that colored sand that I can whack into my life. Somehow it's going to fulfill my thirst knowing it never will. Isn't that what we do? So this guy's just doing what we're all doing. And then he meets Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. He shows up and he says, do you want to be well? Which kind of sounds offensive, doesn't it, really? The Greek word is the word hyges. It means, do you want to be sound? Do you want to be whole? And then he says to the guy, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And guess what? He's totally cured. He doesn't have to wait for an angel or the waters to get stirred. No one has to lob him in the pool. He just gets healed. Everything gets turned on its head. And, and, and then something really weird happens that I wish it hadn't happened, but I have to explain it because it did. Jesus runs off. It's like he doesn't want to be noticed. And, and he walks off, and then he goes further. It seems that Jesus is not interested in halfway for people. He's not interested in just healing him partially. He slips away, but look at verse 14. He finds him again in the temple, and he says something that I would paraphrase like this. It's brilliant that you got healed. You can walk again. Fantastic. But there is something deeper for you to consider if you want to be really whole. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. 
And we read that and we think, oh, that sounds so old school. That, that sounds so kind of, doesn't sound very gracey, Jesus. It doesn't sound very nice. It doesn't sound very loving. It just sounds so kind of condemnatory and judgmental. But, but, but don't miss this. Jesus is saying something so deep and so powerful, it could even change your life today. Listen. He's saying this. Your felt need is not your greatest need. I mean, you think you need to walk above anything else, and that's important and that's great. But walking is not wholeness. There's so much more to you being healed and fully alive than just walking away. Indeed, there will come a time when you won't be able to walk again, but what I'm offering is wholeness and healing. What I'm offering is so much greater and so much fuller and so much richer and so much more important. Your greatest need is to be rid of something called sin in your life. Your greatest need is to be reconnected to a heavenly father who loves you totally. And for everything in your life that's incompatible with that relationship with God to be totally removed so you can walk in the cool of the day in the garden with your creator. That's what your greatest need is. You desperately need forgiveness even if you don't think you've done too many things that are badly wrong. You need your life to be totally and utterly turned around. You don't just need superficial healing that will help you run and jump and walk. You need total, complete healing which will change your life forever. I'm not wanting to give you something that's temporary. I'm wanting to give you something that's eternal because I totally love you. And here's the really cool thing. The Jesus that did that is the Jesus that's here and he's still offering healing. Listen carefully. Sometimes physical healing because he's still God often emotional healing because he wants to deal with the inside and the outside and every part of you always spiritual healing because he wants to totally restore you to the relationship that you were made to be in and he's offering exactly that today That's why we're here. So the desperate are there. Maybe even the desperate are here. Don't get me wrong, none of you look desperate, but you just might be. And and, and secondly, and we haven't got lots of time, but secondly this, the religious are here. Do you know, when Jesus is hanging out, the religious guys are always there. And, 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 And this is really important because if you were to read this book and this was all you, this is all you had, you, you begin to think that it's really weird that the people who are supposed to like Jesus don't like Jesus. And the, and, the, and the people that are supposed to really be repelled by Jesus absolutely love Jesus. The religious people just can't get Jesus. They find him really awkward and really difficult and they find him deeply challenging. And once again, it's the Jewish leaders who don't get it. Look at verse 10 and verse 16. They are the ones who are supposed to welcome Jesus and they begin to persecute Jesus. There's a staggering response from the religious people. I mean, this is, this is, if you hadn't already clocked this, this is mind-blowing stuff. You would have thought that these guys would be, oh my word, it works. Oh my word, can you believe it's like a healing? We've been talking about this for years. The prophecies have all been talking about this stuff that's coming, come one who's a Messiah and the lame are going to walk and the, they're going to dance and it's going to be crazy. They probably did it in a much deeper, more sophisticated voice. But you would have thought that they'd have been all over, oh my goodness me, make way, Messiah coming through. 
but they weren't. They were like all mad and angry. And they give him this row. This guy gets a row for carrying his mat on the Sabbath. I mean, it's just totally crazy stuff. They report, look at verse 18. They're appalled by two things, and this is really important. They're challenged by the breaking of the law, and they're challenged that Jesus was claiming equality with God, that he was God. And, and, I, and I think, and maybe it's just what I think, but I think this. Their problem is this. They, they had gotten used to a religious system with no power and a religion with no God. They'd gotten used to a religious system with no power. They just did things because they did things because they did things. It was layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of religious practice, which was supposed to be there to help people encounter God, but nobody was encountering God anymore. In fact, the religious practice was the thing that was suffocating them from their God relationship. It was preventing them knowing God, and they just got used to that kind of thing. And anything that came in to break that up really offended them and caused them difficulty because they built the whole of their lives and the whole of their economic structure and the whole of the, the way they thought about everything on this religious structure and here was Jesus taking a hand grenade and throwing it into the middle of it and saying the Sabbath was made for me I wasn't made for the Sabbath the Sabbath was made by God and let me show you what the Sabbath is all about this is really important because it's not that the Sabbath is wrong because the Sabbath was way back there in the beginning the first, one of the first things that Jesus the God did was rested and it's in the Ten Commandments but Jesus wanted to say, do you know what the Sabbath is all about? The Sabbath is all about you getting to know God better. The Sabbath is all about you resting so that you can rediscover your relationship with God. The Sabbath is all about healing and wholeness. The Sabbath is all about rest. The Sabbath is all about reconnecting yourself to the rhythms of grace that God has for you. The Sabbath is all about you not striving and driving in your life. That's what the Sabbath is all about, and I've just done Sabbath for this guy. Everything I'm doing is about moving everything towards the Sabbath of God, the rest of God. That's what I'm doing. Everything God is doing is about this thing. And I've just done Sabbath for this guy. He's now whole and complete and free and forgiven. And it just offended them. They couldn't get it. They didn't get it. And they didn't want to get it. Isn't it strange how religious people really struggle with Jesus? And we get content with buildings and rituals and programs and courses and events which were all intended to help us grow closer to God, but they become just layers upon layers upon layers of religious behavior that keep us from the God who loves us. And we become religious and offended when the savior of the world throws a hand grenade into our world and says, this is what it's all about. It's about life and freedom and forgiveness and relationship and wholeness and healing. Isn't it sad how this, our country is full of buildings and people meeting in different ways. We're supposed to be as good as it gets when it comes to seeing Jesus for people who don't know Jesus. That's what it's supposed to be like. And yet we've become so rigid and so structured and so judgmental 
so negative, so condemnatory. And Jesus says, if you just come to me, verse 39 and 40, you could have life. You could have life. But you don't come to me and say you just got religion. Wow. So Jesus says to the desperate, just, just come to me and you can be healed. And Jesus says to the religious, just come to me and you can have life. And then there's a third group of people that, that we don't get implicitly, explicitly told about, but implicitly they're there. And this group of people are the disciples, and we know they're there because John is a disciple and he's writing this stuff as like, like a first-hand person. And, and, and I think they're all excited and a bit freaked out. Because they know that, that they're apprenticing themselves in the life of Jesus. They know that he's teaching them stuff and showing them stuff. And they're really excited because they've seen water into wine and they've seen people healed. And, and, and they're looking at this stuff and they're wondering, how do we do this thing? And this is the John who's got to write at the end of the gospel, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So we know that they're going to be propelled into this job to represent Jesus to a world. And Jesus says there's, there's one thing that's really key to all of this stuff. I think it's one of the most important verses in the whole of the New Testament for us to understand when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. When it comes to being an apprentice, Jesus says this, look at verse 19. He says, this is the secret. Here it is. I only do what I see the Father doing. I don't do the things that everyone's expecting me to do. I don't conform to any other pattern. I'm not doing things because we've always done them. I'm not doing things because tradition says we've got to do them. I'm not doing things because culture says that's the way to behave. I'm not doing things because I thought it was a good idea when I got out of bed to do things. I only do what I see the Father do. Because my relationship with God is the thing that all life comes from for me. My intimacy with him, my proximity to him, that's what it's all about. So I think Jesus says to three groups today. I think he says to the, to the desperate who are saying, you know, I've, I've been 38 years being overlooked. Uh, it's always me that gets overlooked. I, I feel desperate. I need healing, physical, emotional, spiritual. I'm done. I know that I can't do this life. I'm desperate. Just, just come to me. Come to me. And you can experience real healing. And to some of us, he says, do you know what? Get done with the religious thing. Because it will kill the God life in you. Get done with it. Get done with rules and regulations. Get, get done with patterns. Get, get, get done with boxes. Get done with showing up to do things because you think it's the right thing to do. And pursue an intimate relationship with God. Come to me and have life. Because at the moment it just feels like death. Come to me and have life. And to the disciples, he says, do you know what? The secret to you walking is not striving and driving it's not trying to conform to a certain pattern. It's that you just get intimate with God. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest for your soul. Come to me. Let's just pray. I can't think of a better place and a better time when the people of God gather together to hear the word of God and to praise Jesus together for, 
for people to get right with God. And Jesus is here, and he's still here healing, forgiving, cleansing, and making whole. So just in your heart, if you know you fit into one of those categories, you're desperate, just say, Jesus, would you come? And would you heal? Would you come and would you bring life? Would you come and would you introduce me to the Father? Because I'm done doing it myself. I'm done. And here's the thing is that it's the prayer that he loves to answer. It's the prayer that he loves to answer.